0: Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast, brought to you by HypeBot.com. Hypebot. Thank you to Bruce and everybody over at HypeBot for supporting the podcast and everything you do online to help with uh, the music business and music marketing. It's a great resource. Everybody should check out HypeBot.com. So today, i really honored. We've got a special guest joining us. We are joined by uh, Brian Slagle the CEO of Metal Blade Records. And um, I can personally speak for myself. Uh, you know, I've been a fan of Metal Blade since, let's see, I was in college radio in 1985, 86, when I was being serviced metal by Metal Blade Records. So it goes
1: way yeah. back. Yeah, me too. I was a buyer at Tower Records and uh, back in, my gosh, what, Uh 84 to 89, right around that uh, time. And I uh, I brought all those records in. I remember them well.
2: Well, thanks for all your help. We muchly, greatly appreciate <laughs> it.
0: Um, so, so what kind of made me reach out to you, Brian, was a couple months ago you you did an interview, and I can't re- exactly recall who it was, but I know it got picked up by a number of, of outlets, where you were just talking about... Um, uh one of the things I really loved was how social media is is really important and that that you know everybody needs to be doing it and part of it and and you know it was for me it was cool to hear somebody of your stature talking about that because frankly a lot of times you hear a lot of people who are just kind of brush it off it is what it is do what you can but you know, to see somebody like you really kind of getting back there and saying, you know, you really got to do this. That I, I like that. I liked hearing that.
2: Cool. Well, I mean, we. Uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of social media. I think you know when it first kind of came about, when you know, I guess Facebook or MySpace or whatever you, whatever you want to call that social media stuff happening. I thought it was awesome because what it did was, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> I got some sinus stuff today, so pardon me if I my cough, but. What it did, what I found, what it does, what it does and did, was that before, if you were an artist or a label or whatever, to get to your fan base, you had to go through a magazine or a radio station, all these third party places. And with social media, you can create a direct conversation with your fan base. They can interact with you. They can ask you questions. They can get information directly from you, whether it's the band or the label or the magazine or the podcast or whatever it is. And, and I love that. From a fan's perspective, I love that. I love the interaction. And and from the person of of having a label, I love that interaction too. And I think it's really important for bands. You sometimes go, Oh, yeah, whatever. We don't understand it. We don't like it. It's like, go get involved. Your fans will love it. And they'll I think mean, that brings the fans a lot closer to the band because, you know, there's a real interaction there. You see what happens in daily life, you know, you see all these sort of things. And it's been a huge boom for us too, because what it's done is, you know, once you get all of our fans together and all the band's fans together, and you really start talking about when new releases are coming out, this is why we have such huge first weeks now. Everybody knows that record's coming out on yeah. a specific day, where before, you know, they might know, and you put some advertisements here and there, and, but now it's, it's so effective, and we've just found from a variety of things, whether it's selling music, selling concert tickets, selling merchandise, all of those sort of things, you really engage the social media aspect of it and get to those people. It just makes bands a lot bigger, and if you're not doing
1: it and doing it well, you're missing out, I think. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I remember back in the day, there was kind of a delay from when a record hit to when some of the people would come in the store to get it because they could only hear about it maybe in Kerrang or, or whatever. Now it they know it's coming. There might even be a teaser video or an instant grat track or whatever that and then it kind of spreads. I think I think socials are really key. That's how I find find out about a lot of the artists that I'm into. Do you find that some work better than others for, you know, like for metal or hard rock, you know, does does Facebook work better than Twitter or Instagram, or is it kind of all over the map?
2: I mean, I think they all work. Uh, I mean, clearly Facebook is the biggest one, but I don't know that it's necessarily the most effective. I mean, me personally, I, I think that Twitter and Instagram are more effective, especially Twitter when it just comes to getting information out. Mm-hmm. And what I love about, about these socials, too, from, from from my personal perspective is I've met so many amazing people Especially through Twitter, that I had no idea who were fans of metal, you know, whether it's actors, actresses, sports figures, all these different people. And you get to interact with them. And I become friends with a lot of them through social media, which is really interesting. And fans, too, you know. And they're all fans. So it's a really kind of great meeting ground for people to kind of interact and, co- and commingle. And, you know, you meet a lot of interesting people you never thought, like, wow, I never knew like a CEO of some big bank is a huge metal right. <laughs> You know, yeah. it's kind of funny. And, yeah. You know, Line, you know, stuff that I'm into personally, whether, you know, I'm a big sports guy. So, I've you know, i met hockey players, you know, indie car racers, uh, baseball players, all this stuff through there. So all yeah. that stuff is super fun, and it just creates this really big bonding community. And I think that's another reason why it's so important is, you know, you really get involved with this community. I think it helps the whole genre itself kind of interact with each
1: other. I wonder if it could help you with sync as well, because I noticed that when I'm watching sports, a lot of times I'll hear some of that music you know, that they're putting on these broadcasts. And I'm thinking, wow, these must be some of these fans that have grown up with it. But it's also that some of them are being exposed to it.
2: I'm absolutely both of it, Because I know a lot of people that, that are that either do stuff on the on the sports podcast broadcasts or they do stuff in the in-game arenas and friends with some of the guys that do some of the music. And they just grew up as big fans. And it's a funny example. I went to the Dallas Stars game last week, and my friend there does the music. I said, Hey, you know, I'm here. Can you play a couple things for me? The third period, he went nuts. He play, <laughs> you know, I'm on a Mars, Sodom. Uh, oh, Nine. wow. But it fits, right? I mean, it fits that, oh, that t- high combat, you know. It was a higher energy game, and he said, "Yeah, it kind of fit with it." But I was blown away; I said, it was so cool. And I mean, I don't know how many people there, you know, knew who these bands were, but it's still like cool. i like, think you know, Montamart had sodomy played the, you know, sold out <laughs> hockey game. So, it, but yeah, and it's a guy that just grew up a big fan and now you know knows what's going on. Isn't is,
0: is isn't that cool? Because we could all think <clears throat> back, think back to the mid eighties. We could have never imagined hearing Ozzy or Kiss or any metal band played at halftime over the speakers at some stadium.
2: Just in no our wildest
0: dreams, we would have never imagined that.
2: I mean, even go back further than that, for example, like ACDC, when all those early ACDC rares came out, I mean, they were never played on the radio. Everybody thought, oh, it's just too far out there. You too know, heavy. got voices weird, too heavy. And now, fast forward all these years later, you know, I mean, that's some of the most classic music ever, and you yep. hear it everywhere, yep. radio, yep. everything. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing to see yeah. – where all that
1: stuff came from in, in the beginning to see how massive it's all become. You can't even watch a kickoff in the NFL with, without Welcome to the Jungle right before the kickoff or, you know, I heard a Scorpions track during the, the playoffs. It's, it's now, I think it's part of what you mentioned, it's guys like us grew up in that era and now we have positions where we're putting music in some of these things and it works.
2: Yeah, totally. I think in the sports environment too, especially football, hockey. I mean, those are two sports that it just goes hand in hand. I mean, the Pitt, the Pittsburgh Penguins used to drop the opening face-off to Rain and Bud by Slayer, which and the crowd was going insanely nuts cuz it's all high <laughs> energy. So, it's uh, it's it's amazing how it all works together.
0: Brian, let me let me ask you. So, when you are looking at uh, new acts to consider for signing, uh, doing a release, Um, How much does their social media weigh into the decision beyond the music itself?
2: Well, I mean, that's a tough one because... I would like them to have some sort of social media platform before we get there. It just makes life so much easier because if they've already done something and they've gone out there and they, even in their own community, you know, if they've got just a few thousand followers on something, even if it's their own community, that's a big help because it gives us a platform to start with. So we like that. And that certainly is something that, that comes into play when we're looking to sign a band. However... I will tell you that we also have done the complete opposite. We signed this band a couple of years ago from Salt Lake City called Visigoth. And they had zero anything. No Facebook, no Twitter, no Instagram, no nothing. But the music was so good, we said, we're going to do it anyway. And then we try to help them build it up. So it, it doesn't just, you know, in, in other words, and we've also had bands that have come to us that have huge social media presences, but it just wasn't right for us. Got so it. can't do that. It really is the music. That's the most important thing for us, but it certainly gives you a big head start and makes our lives a lot easier if, if you're already engaged in that and at least starting to try to make
1: something happen and understand. Do you, do you use email much um, to communicate with your your core followers? Is that still part of your toolbox?
2: Yeah, I mean, I get, uh, you know, I get like a thousand emails a day, which kind of goes around from you know bands and stuff. I mean, a lot of it's just kind of kind of keeping track of what's happening. So, um, yeah, to a certain degree, sure. I mean, it's an it's an important tool to have, but I think for the massive stuff we do, social media by far is the biggest one.
0: <laughs> now, now, one of the things you also talked about here is bands have to pay their dues.
2: What 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 do you mean by that? Well, so. I've had this conversation several times that I had it maybe, I don't know, six, seven months ago with Kerry King, who's one of my, my best friends, and we're just kind of sitting around talking about stuff, and he goes, you know, wh- why why is there new, no, where's the next great metal band coming from? Why has there been no m- new metal bands breaking through in the last 10 years, let's say? I said, well, really a big problem is that bands, just everything wants it fast-tracked now. It's like, well, we want to have a van on our first tour. What you know? Why can't we have a bus? Like, why are we as big as Black Dog Murder in the first two records? It's like, well, it takes time. I mean, Metallica, Slayer, Guns N' Roses—you know, all of them—all the way back to their. I mean, these these bands, their first tours—they were sleeping on people's floors. Yeah, they were doing it because they did it for the love of the music. That's all we cared about back then. None of us ever thought this stuff was going to be really big. We just did it because we loved the music, and we sacrificed whatever we had to do. We didn't care. I mean, I you know worked out in my mom's garage for three years. Uh, you know, everybody with no air conditioning on Uh You know, everybody just did their thing because they loved the music. And I think even though these kids now love the music and they're into it the society as a whole just kind of makes it seem like it's so much easier to make things happen. And they kind of forget, like you gotta go out and and tough it. And we see this a lot with young bands, where it's like, hey, you know, you've offered this tour, uh, it's like four weeks, but there's not a lot of money, but you should really do it. But we don't want to you know, put you behind the eight ball where we give you a bunch of tour support money and then you're never gonna pay it back. So just go do it however you can do it. And a lot of men's like oh it's too hard we don't you know it's too hard to do and so yeah i mean in the 80s nobody would ever say that if somebody got offered a tour they'd be freaking out oh my gosh we got offered a tour we have to do it no matter what we'll do it in you know slayer's first tour they did in tom's camaro i mean you know just do it however you do. <laughs> <Just> do it do <laughs> it yeah you know, I, mean, Metallica, I mean you know there's a million stories of all those mans back in the day that did it however and you do lose a little bit of that today and that's I think one reason why we don't see as many bands breaking
1: through as as maybe they should be. Metal fans are the most loyal fans of any genre. Ask anybody at Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer. They will tell you the most loyal fans are, are those metal fans. How important is streaming and even, you know, Internet radio and that, you know, to your business?
2: Well it's interesting because you know when you come to the streaming sort of thing, we as metal labels as a whole were kind of the last ones to, to get on board with that. And back to when Apple, when Apple first came out on iTunes, we were kind of the last people to get on iTunes as well. Because we as independent labels, and not just metal labels, you know, a lot of the rock and a lot of the independent labels, you know, when this first stuff started to happen, we weren't getting paid like the majors were. We're like, well, why should we not be getting paid the same as the majors? So we kind of held out until that finally happened. And then once it has, <coughs> sorry, sinus. That's all right, man. It's okay. It's around. Um, so once that finally happened and we got on board, we've seen an unbelievable growth in, in especially the streaming stuff, way beyond what we ever thought. Just to give you an example, so last year in 2017, you know, we are predominantly a physical-based genre uh, around the world. And, and you mentioned we have, the metal fans are amazing, and it's 100% right, they're phenomenal, they support us, they support the bands. None of us would exist today if it wasn't for the fans, and they're phenomenal. But we thought, you know, as we're doing our business plans, we're like, all right, look, we're gonna lose, let's say, 30% of our, of our physical business next year because of how everything's transitioning. We weren't really sure how quickly the streaming stuff was gonna, was gonna come in, so we thought, well, we need to be really lean and mean, so we cut a lot of money out of our budget just wanted to run as close to, to to anything as we could. And as we got through 2017, we started to realize about halfway through that we were on pace to what we did the year before with zero major releases. And the year before, you had a Mono Martha release, it was massive. So <coughs> what we see happen is that the erosion and physical is being more than made up with the streaming stuff. And so right now it's a pretty happy medium and it looks like the future is pretty bright for the music industry as a whole, with the streaming services. Now that all being said, we have one major in rock and metal. So, and I'll, I'll, Spotify, Apple Music—they're all kind of the same. So, where do people now that are in the streaming universe find out about new music? They go to the playlists. That's how Chainsmokers and and uh, you know Drake and all these other people become these massive, massive artists. Well, if you look at the analytics. Not to bore everybody too much, but if you look at the analytics of Spotify, every other genre outside of rock and metal, the fans go predominantly to the playlists first. Then they go to band's pages after they hear stuff. It's the complete 180 with metal and rock where everybody just goes to the the page of the band that they know and they like. And they stay there for a long time and they listen to it, which is awesome. But they don't go to the playlist nearly as much. And that's another kind of thing that we have that's hindering, potentially hindering. Uh, you know, getting people to discover new music because there's a lot of great new music out there. So we're working on it. We're hoping that people, once they become more comfortable with these sites, they'll start going to the playlists more. You know, trying to push people to specific playlists and stuff. So it, it's getting there, but it's really interesting how it's so much different. You know, if we had that and we could start to break some new artists, then then we could really be super happy.
1: And that's hopefully where we're headed. Where are the uh, physical sales coming from? Is it venue sales primarily, or is it the indies, Amazon? Where Where do your physical sales come from?
2: Well, in the U.S. now, uh, as as everybody's probably heard, uh, you know, Best Buy's not having any CDs past July
1: first. Well, frontline after July first, right?
2: Yeah, and then yeah. Uh, you know, same thing with Target, and and you know, honestly, they've been getting out of it. Where if you're not in the top 100, you're not getting That's much right. of Yeah, so it's coming from it's coming from predominantly from uh, Amazon, uh, the indies. And really what we found is is what we call D2C, which is direct-to-consumer, which is when sure. the record first comes out, you put together a big package with a whole bunch of really cool stuff, including the CDs, and we've seen that that's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Like, for example, uh, last late last year we had a new Black Dahlia murder record, which ended up being number nine on the Billboard chart, which is pretty incredible as it is. Uh, and that was because their d c was massive. They went a huge d c that we hadn't done before. And that was really because the fans got out there. And again, through we talked about social media earlier, they began this whole social media event campaign about getting to the d c and buying all this stuff. And that was a, a really big help. So that's another huge avenue that we see. And it's only going to grow from here on out. Now, real quickly, just to talk about like outside of the US, in Germany, it's still 1995. 85% of our business in Germany is still physical. So that's where a lot of the physical sales are coming from now, too. When yeah. you do, do the do a lot of vinyl, sorry okay, about yeah. that, Michael. Uh, both vinyl and CDs.
0: When, when you do the direct to consumer, are you doing that through platforms like Pledge Music?
2: Uh, we have used Pledge Music. Normally, we do it through our own. We have our own Metal Blade platform that we do, and, and we create a landing page. We, again, get all the social medias and everybody to all go there. But we've done Pledge Music as well, and I think it de- it depends on the artist and, and the and the, the avenue. Like We just did it with this uh, Dime Vision video, which is a Pantera thing, and we did a Pledge Music campaign with them that was insanely successful. So it, it can definitely work if it's the right thing, but we generally, if it's just a regular kind of old metal release, we'll do it through our C And that way kind of, everything goes to one, one place. And, and we
1: have the, the infrastructure to do that. So when you're putting out a new record or promoting a new artist, how important is video? I mean, are you doing, you know, pseudo videos and lyric videos and live video? I mean, like really working YouTube? Yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, the way kind of the way we do it now is when we when we when we drop our landing page for the new artist, there's there's some sort of video up there, right? whether it's a lyric video or if we have enough time in front to, to actually have a video to do it, we'll, we'll do that. And then over the course of the, you know, however long it is we set it up, generally it's. Three months. It could be less. Could be more. There's at least two or three videos that you get up on YouTube, and at least one of them is what we call a production video. You know, Uh, but all all that stuff is really important because that's where you get again, you get views, you get people watching it. That's how you get the word out. So it's it's extremely important to do that. And luckily, we can do that now. Um, pretty inexpensively, I and mean, we have our own in-house people that do most of that stuff now, which is helpful. And then we also obviously have outside directors who do like you know bigger promo videos. But that stuff is massively important. You need all of those elements to really make a record happen. Yeah.
0: When 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 you're doing stuff like videos and you want to promote a, a a new bundle or a new release, how many of the bands that you work with these days? Can take the bull by the horn, so to speak, and go out there and and know how to push this stuff on their social medias versus how many do you still have to provide direction, guidance, maybe even do it for them?
2: Well look, all of the bigger bands that we have, you know, all have management and stuff. So they're all very well aware of how this works and they've all grown their their own pages pretty pretty big. It becomes a little trickier with newer bands where you do sometimes have to walk them through it and get and get them to be engaged. And you know, it's a little easier now, I will say that you know, really maybe even as close as a year, year and a half ago, we had some not really some fights, but some problems with some of the bands where they're just like, Well, you know, we don't really know, and we're not really sure. And like, no, just do this and get out there. And once they get involved in it, then funny a couple of them that were so kind of I don't want to say anti-social media, but just kind of eh, I don't really know. And then they get into it, and now they love it. So and they're posting a lot. So we see that happen quite a bit. But I'd say these days everybody's well aware of how important that is, and so many bands use it that if you're not really engaging and using it, you're just you're 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 setting yourself behind everybody else and you can't really afford to do that.
1: Do the DSPs have any really great editor curators that get metal? You know, like there are some that do EDM, country, pop, but are there any that are building playlists that are driving traffic? It's getting there,
2: I mean, Spotify, there's there's some great people that work at Spotify, and, and there's some really good metal people there, but they don't really have a specific metal person there right now, which they're supposed to have. Now, Apple Music has uh, a girl in there named Susie Cole who's phenomenal, who's a huge metal head, who completely understands the entire world, and she's great at doing playlists. So that's really, really helpful. Great. <clears throat> so it's getting there. <clears throat> I mean, we, we think we'll see – because same thing with I, with – go back to the old iTunes – when they kind of got their metal guy there, um, that's what really kind of kick-started the whole thing is he knew exactly what to do, what to promote. Yeah. And the cool thing back then was that you, you – like, we weren't playing on an even playing field with the majors. Like, we got just as much coverage as they did, and we're kind of seeing the same thing with the, with the other things too. And uh, it's getting there. It's, it's not perfect yet, but I think, you know, we're hopefully you know, a year away or so from it being even better. How important is uh, college radio into the metal space these days? I think it's still hugely important. I mean, look, that's the backbone of how we got started. And, you know, you you know, you were there in the beginning. And it's still super important. I, I think that, you know, a lot of places, you know, th- that's our fan base. Our fan base, that age is, is a large part of our fan base. And a lot of times, you know, they're in college, they're not. You know, as social media savvy as most of them are, sometimes it's just as easy as like, "Hey, on a Saturday night, let's flip on the college radio stations, plays metal for three hours, and check out what's going on." So, I think it's still vitally important. We still service all of them. We want them to be around. I mean, I just I did a whole book tour last year, and I did a bunch of college radio stuff, including being in the studio at SOU in New Jersey and some of these other ones. So, I think it's still still hugely important. You know, maybe not quite as important as it used to be, but it's still up there, and we we
1: still we still promote and provide them whatever they need. I discovered so much from college radio because there weren't any other stations that were playing it. And I don't know if you know my brother, Jeff Gilbert, but he had a radio show called Brain Pain out of Seattle. I think it was on KCMU. Yep. And you could hear things that you just couldn't hear anywhere else.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean that's I you know I I was lucky enough in LA when I was growing up in the in the in the seventies where uh, there's this upstart uh, radio station called K-West started on FM, and they were playing, It's where I first heard Kiss and Judas Priest and UFO and all these bands I got into, and, you know, that's super important because that's a lot of times the only way that people have that, they might not even know what they like, but they get exposed to it. It's an easy way to do it, just turn on the radio, or, you know, these days you get Pandora and all these other avenues that are really good too, but all of that stuff, you know, my attitude is it's all vitally important. Yeah.
0: Brian, Brian, I'd love to pick your brain. As what do you, what do you see the the short term future of um, metal slash rock touring when when bands like Kiss, Aerosmith, we you know Motley Crue is done. These bands are, and and many more like them, they're at the twilight of their career. It's you know they're they're probably a year or two away from it's over. What do, you, what do you think is going to happen to the, especially the touring world, when these bands that have been the backbone of rock touring are gone?
2: Well, I think, you know, what we've been trying to do, and, you know, it's, it's been, it, you see this a lot more in Europe than you do here, but, you know, a lot of these bands that, that are kind of slowly moving up the rungs, that have big shows, they're starting to play larger venues, and they're starting to really happen, whether it's on a Monomar, if they're Lamb of God, or Gorgira, or Mastodon, or Children of Bodom, or, you know, Ghost, you know, there's a lot of bands that are out there, they're opening Kill Switch Engage, another one. They're they're opening Iron Maiden shows all, all summer over in Europe. You know, these are the bands that are that are now coming, putting on bigger shows and happening. I think once the bigger bands go away, which you're exactly right, you're we're in a two to five year window before most of these bands are gonna be like, yeah, it's pretty much it. But we see these other bands kind of propping themselves up. And I think, you know, for example, you look at a band like Rammstein, right? So they've never had they have one big record here in the US, what, twelve? almost maybe yeah. 20 years ago. Right, 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 at least. But they come over here and tour arenas because their stage show is so incredible and so phenomenal that people will go because it's a spectacle. And, you know, you see that here, you know, whether it's King Diamond or a lot of these bands that they're starting to play some pretty big venues or they're co-headlining with, with other people. You know, Lamb of God was out with Slayer where they're playing a bunch, of, a bunch of their stuff and again doing it this year. So I think that those bands can move up the rungs and provide you with a great entertainment thing. And a lot of people may not even know like, I didn't know that band was so good, but I saw them live, and then I got really into it, and then you kind of get exposed to it that way. So I think the market will be, will be good. It's just a matter of these bands having to step up the ladder. And having to have, because now, especially with technology, you have to have a big stage show. If you have a big stage show, that people come in and just go, oh, my gosh, look at what's going on, then it's, 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 a, it's a concert experience that you get. And there's a lot of bands that I think can provide that, that once these other bands go away, that they can hopefully take, take their place. That's what we hope.
1: Yeah, how important are festivals?
2: Well, festivals right now are massively important. They're kind of changing the way people go to experience live music. It happened all the way back in Europe when these festivals started in in the you know the '90s, and now every summer, every across every genre, there's massive festivals, and you can go to any any country's got two or three huge metal festivals, and there are anywhere from fifteen to a hundred thousand people there, and that's where most of these kids will spend their money, and you've seen it over as well. And then the big the big touring stuff is happens less and less now because people will just go over the summer and see all those things. But bands can break out from those festivals as well because you know we've seen it over here, you know, whether it's a Marth or Cannibal Corpse or a lot of these bands that did the mayhems and the and the Oz fest that, you know, had a bunch of kids that kind of knew who they were, but never seen seen them live before. They go and they're like, oh my gosh, these bands are great, and that just keeps again putting them uh, up the rungs as well. So they're vitally important. And those aren't going anywhere because the touring market gets tougher and tougher, and you see how successful now in the U.S. We finally got these standalone festivals that we've never really had, whether it's Chicago Open Air or Rock on the Range, or you know, there's there's a ton of those, and I think you'll see see more of those happening too with really great builds. So I, I think it's really important, and it's also important to building up the artists that we hope will be the next ones to headline and sell on arenas as well. You
1: know, I was exposed to a lot of Metal Blade music via samplers and compilations, and uh, I just found that that was such a key way. And I know that, you know, playlists are kind of like that, but do you still do uh, compilations and, you know, to samplers for for your artists?
2: We've done them, I think, think though, with the advent of, you know, streaming. uh, Apple music and streaming, we don't do them as much. Uh, we, we don't do the physical ones as much because people just aren't interested in them. But we will we'll do the playlist and we'll go out and promote them to get people to go listen. So it's really the same concept, it's just a different avenue. A different
1: medium, yeah.
2: I think the last time we did an, an actual proper sampler was year the last mayhem. <clears throat> I think we gave away a ton of them. And that was pretty effective. But now we see and we, you know, we and we want people to go to streaming services now. I mean, that really is the, the, the future that people are consuming their music, and it's so easy to do. You know, I'm an old guy, but I love going and listening to music on Spotify, Apple Music. and just listen to anything you want, kind of whenever you want, wherever you want. If somebody yep. brings to a band, like, hey, I heard this band, the other day; they're really cool, and you can be out at a bar or whatever, and you go, oh, cool, I can just play this right on my phone. And go, oh, that is pretty cool. You know? it,
0: it, it, Brian, isn't the, the biggest disappointment these days is when somebody says something, a great band, and they're not on Spotify, and you're like, God, yeah. I can't now. How do I listen? <laughs> it,
2: ha- it happens less and less, though. I mean, I, I know all of our stuff is up on Spotify, and I think yeah. you know probably ninety-five percent of what should be up there is up there.
1: I think the next big wave, you know, is going to be these voice-activated devices, you know, like the Amazon Echo and the uh, Apple HomePod, and so on. But one thing I found, and I don't know if you've seen this, is we have to do a better job with our metadata because. For example, if you go on to the Amazon Echo and say play Julian Lodge, it, it won't play it. But if you say play Julian Loggy, it will find it and play it. <laughs> you know, and that's the thing I worry about with some of these artists that you're talking about is they have a little weird pronunciation here and there, you know, and it's it's gonna be something that we're gonna have to think about going forward. Yeah, I
2: I hope, though, that, you know, that the algorithms and the metadata will get to the point where, you know, they'll understand that stuff better. I mean, technology is happening so quick and so fast. It gets updated so quickly that I would hope that I, I would think that that would be the least issue we would have. But you never know. Brian, you know, l- l- one last
0: parting question here. So if if you had a couple pieces of advice to a band that wants to get signed, a metal band, what would they be?
2: Well, there's two big things I tell every band. Uh, uh, number one is make music for yourself. Make it for yourself what you guys like. Don't listen to what everybody else says. Don't think like, oh, if we sound like this, we'll get signed. No, make the music that you, four, or five, or three, or whatever band love. Period. Because if you talk to Metallica or Slayer or U2 or the Rolling Stones or anybody, they go, they make music for themselves and bloody whatever they may became successful. That's number one. Although I see a lot of really good bands get derailed because they try to go in different directions. They listen to people like oh, this, sound like that, and that ruins it. And I think people can tell it's not genuine. We want, especially in metal, we want genuine stuff. That's number one. Number two, someone in your band has to be, has to have some semblance of understanding of business. Just pick one, read a book, take a class, do something.
1: Watch a podcast.
2: I think people have the misconception that labels, managers, lawyers, the bands work for us. And a lot of times, the, the bands seat they work for us. You work for those bands. And the, it's ultimately the band has to make these decisions. And again, every successful band I know has one guy in the band that's the that's the business guy, and he knows what he's doing. And that's those are two vital important things. And then the other stuff we talk about, you know, get involved in social media, get involved in your local scene, you know, get you know whether it's radio stations, record stores, magazines, whoever to to because a lot of times that's how we find out about bands. There's a band, you know, anywhere in the world, somebody'll say, hey, you know, that we know, say, hey, we we saw this local band that's really good. You guys should check them out. And that's. We would probably sign 99% of the bands that we sign from those sort of recommendations, or you know, somebody opened for one of our bands somewhere. It's very rarely do we get like, a, you know, somebody sending in a tape or something that we actually sign something from that.
0: How how how, how how important uh, is it for uh, a band to have a manager? Uh,
2: quite honestly, early on, not important at all, because sadly, most of the time when a band comes with a manager, that they're really young. It's usually a terrible manager or a friend of theirs or somebody that doesn't really know what they're doing. I found the better way to do it is to just not have a manager in the beginning. Again, have somebody in your band that kind of understands what the business is like. And that's a great way to learn by not having a manager. And then, you know, once you get some cachet and once you get some stuff going, then you can go out and try to get one of the really good managers. And the, part of the problem is there's not a whole lot of them out there, but there's there are enough good ones. And, and you have to – it's vitally important to have a good manager to have a successful career. So, I, I mean, unless – and this happens very rarely. Some big management company finds somebody really young, and then they bring it to us. I mean, ha- it does happen. Most of the time, it's the other way around, where it's better off, unfortunately, not to have a manager than to have one at the beginning.
0: Would you, would you help a band find a manager? If, you, if you've got a young band on your label that needs management, is that something you've That's- done?
2: Absolutely. I mean, look, once, if we sign a band to the label, and we really are, we, well, any band we, we sign, we like them, you know, once they get to that point, yeah, then you have to find them a good booking agent, you have to find a manager, you have to find all, all these sort of things. So certainly that's what we, we would love to help them with. And we like to work with people that we, that we normally work with, and we have a set of managers and agents that we're familiar with, and they're also looking for bands, too. So absolutely, it's, it's the other way around, too. I mean, <coughs> we just signed this band, <coughs> excuse me, from Poland called Batushka. That uh, one of the booking agents that we use all the time, this guy Nick Storch, who books a million huge bands, said, "Hey, I just started booking this band from Poland. I think they'd be perfect for you guys." And I listened to, them, like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" And we ended up signing them. So it works works both ways around. Awesome, awesome. Brian. Uh, this is where you get to plug. What do you want to plug? Uh, well, I guess I got to plug my book uh, for the sake of heaviness, the history of metal blade records. You can get it on Amazon. It, uh, Barnes and Noble anywhere you can buy books so definitely check that out it's uh, it's a it's a fun it's an easy read it's short so it only takes you 4 or 5 hours and it's not too boring i think and uh, for everything else go to you know metalblade.com, all the information is there if you want to follow me on social media brian slagle twitter facebook instagram chat um, snapchat now so
1: <laughs> <laughs> everywhere
2: it's, it's all yeah all out there got to do all,
1: this. all right
0: brian this was Great. awesome we Great really, chat, we we really Appreciate you taking the time to uh, share some of your vast experience.
2: Uh, no problem. appreciate it. Thanks, you guys. And thanks to you guys, everybody else out there that helps support all this music. We we need all of what we can, and we can't do it without all you guys.
1: So, nice. all right, we'll keep the music going. We're trying to work over here, man. All
2: right. You got it, man. Take care. Take care.
0: Thanks. Bye. Um, that, was a, that was such a fun, great conversation. You know, like I said at the beginning, I go all the way back to mid-'80s when I was in college radio and... You know, yeah. Metal Blade was servicing me as you know one of their college radio outlets, and I was getting Fate's Warning, and I don't know who yeah. else. God, there was a bunch of stuff that was coming out. Lizzie Borden, I think, might have uh-huh. been coming from them at the time. I discovered
1: so many artists. Metal Blade bought a record. that we talked about. I mean, Brian's like you know he's like an icon. You know, when he, it comes. He's, to, a, he's a he's a yeah. le-
0: he's a legend in the metal in the metal world absolutely actually. and, yeah, and you know a really having having been there from from you know the 80s all the way through now and survived it um you know y- y- this is somebody you got to listen to
1: yeah yeah great advice too that was a good talk
0: that was a good talk all right so um that's it music biz weekly podcast metal we're out of here Till next week later <laughs>